Section two of Through Broadland in a Braden Punt by John Nolittle, a pseudonym of the writer and naturalist Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapters three and four. Chapter three The Pilgrim's Progress. The face of the water was not a book to be thrown aside for it had a new story to tell every day there never was so wonderful a book written by a man never one whose interest was so absorbing so unflagging so sparklingly renewed with every perusal by mark twain dr emerson in on norfolk lagoons with its odd mixture of terse graphic picturesque and not seldom garrulous english somewhat aptly heads one chapter gloomy beckles it certainly was so at the time of my visit a dull day its tumble-down houses beside the steep approaches to the town with folks off early to bed did not bespeak gaiety but it is normally a very respectable place beloved of those who hate paying say yarmouth's rates with bright yachts moving on its weedy river with cultivated greenery and floral colours sloping to the water's edge the breaker up of old hovels might remove much of its gloominess to me willow trees and beckles seem synonymous the monotony of the former is rather aggravating a few alders here and there would break it and provide one cheerier aspect there are enough willows around the town for every beckelsian to hang up his harp upon them and wail jeremiads the town clock strikes loudly and chimes often reeling off the quarters all day and all night long with some emphasis the yarwhelp drew up beside an eelman's stranded houseboat like himself an old-age pensioner its almost washed-out name the flirt suggests to one more jovial days in times gone by the skipper was at home and drew to the stern sheets to chat I told him that eels were more in evidence just now in the salter waters of the harbour. Well, boar, they ain't a-doin' much hereabouts. He had been gardening that day. He showed me his colony of rabbits, a sideshow, in hutches, perched on four long sticks apiece, a comical little farmyard. Any rats at night? I queried. No he said that chap pointing to a snuff-coloured terrier who wished to be friendly what he can't catch he frights away that was comforting and reassuring there was little copy to be cajoled out of the old fellow who is not much unlike moses slow of speech and of similar meek habit it rained at night and beckles awoke with still wet roofs 
I went athwart the stream in the flirt's dinghy, with my milk jug, for I worshipped the cow as keenly as a Brahmin. At seven the milk shop had not yet opened, but the church door was unlocked, whilst the organ pealed forth cheerful music. I slipped in and sat in the front pew under the Union Jack, resting my Yankee hat on one side and the jug on the other. The incident conduced to a worshipful feeling, but the young organist played on, and at the end of half an hour I thanked him, to his surprise, and queried if he'd ever given a recital to a smaller audience. His smile suggested he had never pleased a queerer one. The milk lady unlocked the door as I reached the shop, and after breakfast I paid the eel man toll in the shape of two eel-babbing leads, which warmed his honest old heart towards me. Packed up my traps, and at eight I pushed downstream, nodding to one yachtsman and another. "'How much water does she draw?' asked one, meaning the Yarwhelp. Two inches or more,' replied the skipper, which astonished him. "'I expect he had had an experience of Braden Knoll, and recalled it. "'Odd folk wondered at the little punt's name. "'Let Sir Thomas Brown quaintly answer them. "'A Yarwhelp, so thought to be named from its note, "'a grey bird,' intermingled with some yellowish feathers, somewhat long-legged, and the bill about an inch and a half. Esteemed a dainty dish. And now step forth our beloved Richard Lubbock, author of that exquisite Fauna of Norfolk. Black-tailed godwit, called provincially the Shrieker, from its piercing cries, the bird is now extinct in this part of Norfolk, and used to breed. I suspect this bird, besides at one or two other broadland quarters, once nested in the marshes of the Yare. Hence, with its yelp, the suggestive local cognomen. Scientific name, Limosa Belgica. John Nolittle comments, that ought to afford a fair solution of the little enigma of the skipper, who loves all avers, big or small. The wind was not fair that morning, but I paddled quite fifteen miles on the way back to St. Olive's to report. A smart motorboat, carrying a crew that might have made good and earned honours at Jutland, and certainly looked hearty enough to torpedo the Garbon, passed me on the way at a roaring marine gallop, heaving up a strife of waters that made my boat jump like a rollicking dolphin over the backwash, calling to mind a pungent word-picture forecasting such a terror, ages old, in the Wisdom of Solomon, Chapter 11, Apocrypha of unknown wild beasts, full of rage, newly created, breathing out either fiery vapour or filthy scents of scattered smoke. 
Now say there is anything new under the sun, or that Solomon knew not Broadland. Such a reckless spirit should not obtain upon our rivers, and wouldn't if folks but carried out the golden rule, or even obeyed the river commissioner's reasonable commands. Without further outstanding incident, save that of assaging my small appetite for a groat, mark ye, at the Waveney Hotel at Borough St. Peter, an hour later I was chewing the cud at headquarters, St. Olive's, in the Moorhen the Second. I resume my trip this morning, Friday, Jari's bad day too, and why not? I have always found a kindly providence as good to me on a Friday as on a Sunday. The morning of the day broke cloudy, but more than half smiling, like a sweet, rosy-faced kitty, smiling through its half-dried tears. Must I admit that I went to bed tired last night? And this morning, like Huck Finn on his floating logs, I lay late, feeling rested and rather comfortable and satisfied, and powerful lazy and comfortable. Didn't want to get up and cook breakfast. But with me, it had to be done. There were eggs to boil hard for the tough miles in front of me, and a few odd things to pack, and the moorhen the second to be tidied up. The ebb was running low in the cut, and the ruffling wind lay right up it. I saved a shilling by lowering my mast beneath the Haddisco Bridge, which every yachtsman cannot do. It is odd how waterfolk grumble at fixed bridges and blackguard swinging ones, and the yelling of, Bridge ahoy! is a chronic blatant cry at this and St. Olive's swinger. Bird life was not over-apparent. The old black mill tower disgorged its swallows, and a few starlings went by on their business-like way. A heron squawked somewhere over the bank. Howett must have seen one beside such reeds as line the cut, says he. Lo, there the hermit of the waste, the ghost of ages dim, the fisher of the solitudes stands by the river's brim. But I did not catch sight of him. That grim old mill tower always interests me. Towards eventide, the separate tribes of starlings collect upon its top to preen their feathers before going to bed in the reeds, flocks repeating this in succession. And in their idle moments, the swallows swarm the telegraph wires below, as crotchets and semiquavers perch upon the ledger lines of a music sheet. Behind came the cry of, Bridge ahoy! Which reminds me that the sea has its songs and shanties galore. Our larger rivers and our murmuring brooks have had their Moor and Wordsworth and Dibden and others. But where are our Broadland poets? Ernest Suffling in The Land of the Broads, 
a rather poor but very popular guide to them, did try his hand at versifying and metre. But where is your real local bard of the broads? I wish poor Charlie Harrison and our charming bachelor could show us verses as beautiful as are their watercolours of lily and reflected tree and swaying reeds. Where is the versifier that has yet put into words, in metrical measure, the scythe-wielding Marshman's lithe, supple, picturesque personality and his calling, the wherryman, the Bradener, let alone others. My ink runs short, and I must now keep to my notes. Wind stiffly resisting me up the cut, and the ebb-tide easing, smoother water announcing the coming flood-tide halfway down. Insect life scarce, but two thunderflies accompanied me a mile, like horning kiddies seeking largesse. Paddled leisurely through still rather pretty unspoilt reedum, nestling under its ancient sea-cliff. Yachting folk at ten are apparently still sleeping, and why not? Past three boatloads of jolly anglers, looking earnest and hopeful, but only the fish themselves were on strike. No one doing well, and all, fishermen and waters, bewail the awful crop of river weeds. Weeds. I sailed through acres of floating weeds. Once went through what seemed to be the Lake of the Thousand Islands. Twice I ran on patches and got clear only with difficulty. The oars were like Venetian masts with streamers. Hard things overheard about the commissioners, but mum's the word. Hardly cross, a sort of miniature Nelson's monument. I repeated no mystic, unintelligible jargon around it. I had enough to do to repeat pure English at the weedy sud that wooed my bows and clogged my oars. After six hours hard rowing, I, at length, reached Brundle. Not a bad sticking it for a fellow of threescore years and one. Tired I was a bit, but am as fresh again as a daisy at 10pm, having staked down for the night, erected my snug little awning, and had my supper, and so to bed. Chapter 4. A Yearside Idyll a little ripply, cool breeze began to blow, and that was as good as saying the night was about done. I see the moon go off watch, and the darkness begin to blanket the river. But, in a little while, I see a pale streak over the treetops, and knowed the day was coming. From Huckleberry Finn this morning, August the 2nd, found me awake by sun-up, and, opening the flap of the Yarwelp's snug awning, I met a cool breeze coming along the dyke from the river, as sweet as incense, and far more inspiring. 
no singing birds serenaded me as on one occasion three years since when i came in the spring to shift the moorhen the second home again when the military despots of the day allowed a reshuffle of the boats a bunch of grey linnets went chipping over a moment ago but those were only musical to the ear of a bird-catcher the vainglorious cocks were up at four throwing out useless challenges for miles around but why thorough should so gush over their worse than musicless motor horns i fail to see eggs ought to be going cheap at brundle last night at sunset i sat chatting with a young lady she on the bank i on the floor of the punt i observed her half unconsciously partly automatically scratching and soothing her ankle due to the attentions of a swarm of mosquitoes out for their evening foray they came to me in a troop lit on my hands and sampled my neck let them they find my epidermis leathery they rested on the inside edge of my awning to reconnoitre and plan savagery on long legs made so to give the proboscis room to straighten and to get leverage then i experimented i hauled out of a locker a small bottle marked mason's anti-nat mixture and sparingly anointed my face with its sweetly aromatic secrets and i speedily found the onslaught cease the mosquitoes backing off wondering the proud inventor states that it is equally good to cure as prevent i was not able to prove it for i could not discover a bite bump anywhere everyone complains about these pests except the case-hardened old rivermen some rather bad shot across the water this hour has been punctuating the piece with gunshots i rather like his double shots for they show his aim is faulty the better for his ducks and other clients i am pleased to say that i have heard so far no popping from amateurs in the yachts indeed i find those folks abroadering to-day a far more orderly sober generation who take their pleasures a little more seriously i may be forgiven perhaps thanked for talking a trifle about my little turnout perhaps the smallest experiment in the way of doing broadland you already know my tub is aged but she is tried and not found wanting built on the lines of the old braden gun punts fast disappearing she is seventeen feet long four feet abeam two-ended like a weaver's shuttle an inch or so over a foot deep foredecked and partly so around to the stern on braden i can sail her on edge without fear of capsize with my fifty-foot square bit of tanned calico she lifts her nose like a powerful swimmer to the worst breaker on braden 
very seldom ducking her foredeck, when the water runs harmlessly off her, round her raised rail. She is the only rudder-fitted punt, but I can guide tiller and hold the sheet with my left hand, whilst my right is free to let me ogle the wading birds through my field glasses. Today she is a yacht. A square frame temporarily goes round the well, fitted with six angle irons, to which six shear legs, three legs aside, are speedily nutted tight. The boom forms my ridge pole. Two cords crossed at each side make famous stays, and the stout calico awning, dressed with Livet Frank's marvellous waterproof composition in fawn colour, makes it famously watertight and semi-opaque, with its two dressings and the skipper as comfortable as a bug in a rug. The house is a comfortable kip only for one, but I feel sure if many a semi-penurious young fellow, like myself, saw it, they could take a wrinkle for a glorious holiday. I have not shipped a drop of rain since the start, nor leaked a hen's noseful. My lockers contain tins of sugar, tea, sundry fishing gear, a few small books, etc. The stern locker carries the enamelled pots, bilers and crocks, and the forepeak stows the bedding in a kit bag and pickling. With such a Noah's Ark, even as in an ark of bulrushes, I am as free to float or sail forth upon the face of the waters, or drift above a submerged world, or over the year's sargasso weeds, fearless of crocodiles, or of the terrified ichthyosaurus, plesiosaurus, and other antediluvian monsters Noah and Shem saw from the dove's window in his big houseboat, when he had ticked off his guide to his floating zoo. I have been wooing laziness today. A few minutes ago, I paddled back from Surlingham Broad with a bonny lad, the son of the Yare Hotel's host, a keen schoolboy with a Norwich badge on his cap. We had shared a rowing boat and forced our way, ploughed it in fact, with the boat's share, through the lily pads and Potomodgeton, and a variety of other obstructive weeds that disputed our entrance, and found the lagoon, a diamond set in arboreal emeralds, half-choked also. Two mallards scurried by. They had survived the shooting in the morning. A snipe wheeled overhead, and several martins and swallows hawked flies above the floating weeds. But what a few birds, after our beloved Stevenson's description of those he saw on his favourite broad. It must have deteriorated, and is not so exclusive today. There stood a notice-board, the only one I ever deliberately went to con. Its back stood to the water, but on its other side, the caution, or whatever it might be, had become illegible. Only the word signed was readable. 
the broad was hallowed to me by the memory of norfolk's greatest departed ornithologist i half fancied i saw him sitting eager in a boat's bow glasses in hand taking stock of coot and grebe and an occasional rarer fowl the boatman silently rowing so as not to disturb his cogitatings upon the glories of a broadland eventide which he so graphically portrays in the birds of norfolk i take my hat off to his memory i do not so to many man goeth i know as a ship that passes over the waves of the waters it saith in the book of wisdom chapter five apocrypha which when it is gone by the trace thereof cannot be found neither the pathway of the keel in the waves but stevenson hath cut his name deeply in the records of our beloved county for words say of even politicians fly but writings remain says the latin adage truly my readers will not think me goody-goody for quoting so freely from the most ancient of tomes but its language is always so beautiful to me its imagery so exquisite that i am none the worse but the more human for its perusal next to it i like defoe then a step-like following including rusticus of godalming and thorough all good chums i have some in the yarwhelp's locker quite a cluster of young folks have come to the yarwhelp's lair to see the old recluse sketch them pictures and who could say them nay but stop i must just once more revert to the floating and subaqueous vegetation i do not like that morbidly sentimental hymn nothing but leaves the spirit grieves the plethora of them has set a motor boatman complaining to me of how he had often to clear his screw the ferryman at buckenham and at coldham hall seem to bring them up as by a trawl net around the chains and have to stop cranking to rid the links of their fearful gleanings and my host's fifteen anglers boats lie idle to-day folks come once but not again he told me bar that from brundle upwards it is an ideal river resort for houseboats and i think as the jaded citizens learn still more to appreciate the restfulness of this hobby more will take it up and ride it two anglers just pushed by off to their trawling ground to patience may they add hope but be it known unto them that hope deferred maketh the heart sick but most anglers have a good stomach for thwarted aspirations they take comfort in good bites let alone copious libations some and usually rejoice over one lost fish which they tell you must have been a monster i share their optimism i too am a waltonian and no tobit's young man coming at eventide 
chapter six to the tigress to wash was forestalled by a fish which in its eagerness jumped out of the river and the young man laid hold of the fish small blame to him too i should have done so and hoped it a new species for the county list the river fishing must have greatly deteriorated since lubbock's time in eighteen forty eight when great hulking perch wandered as far as Braden when the tides were low and were taken in the trammel nets set for flounders or butts they came regularly to st olives to feed on the edge of the salts upon shrimps possibly white prawns palamon squilla that love a muddy habitat and the ditch prawns palamon varians which came from the more saline ditches through the deek sluices his friend caught two in the yare near Braden that weighed eight and a half pounds davies tells of a beckles barber who caught in the haddisco cut eleven perch of two pound each in as many hours baiting with gudgeon at alton perch seem to be deteriorating does the floating waste petrol kill the over of fishes attached to the reeds big catches of fish seem out of fashion below norwich to-day perhaps the baits are lost in the vegetation bream are plentiful enough at hickling and at fritton to this day do ruffs still abound near norwich of which spencer wrote him followed yar soft washing norwich wall and with him brought a present joyfully of his own fish unto their festival whose like none else could show the which they ruffins call End of section two.